0: I don't want to be just someone that's new. I speak my mind so free so you can hear the truth. Yeah, know that we all have fears. Hey, hey, welcome back to the podcast. This is the Truth For Youth podcast. So today we're going to answer a question that you've probably had in your life. If you haven't had it, you have more than likely heard it or been asked it. Uh, I was talking with a group of college guys last night, and this question came up. And again, I've heard it a bunch. This particular young man said he had been asked this question several times and he didn't really know a good answer. And as we talked about it last night, it made me realize, you know what, maybe I should do a podcast on this and let's talk about this, because it is a difficult question. And by you looking at the title, you now know what that question is. But before we hop into that, let me just say this. Guys, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening, especially those of you that are faithful, that have left reviews, that share the podcast. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, If you get value, that is the one thing that I ask. Please leave a review and share it with someone. Let's let this podcast grow. All right, let's get into that question. So why, why do bad things happen to good people? That is a question that people may ask if they do not believe in God. Uh, it may even be questions that Christians ask at some point. Maybe they're questioning their faith or maybe they're just confused like, God, I'm, I'm living for you, right? I'm trying my hardest, yet bad things keep happening in my life. And some of you, it may feel like worse things have happened in your life since becoming a follower of Christ, than beforehand. And you may look around and you may see people that are have, have no evidence of God in their life, are not following Jesus, and they seem to be getting blessed, right? Like, like good things seem to be happening in their life. So why? Why, God? Why are bad things happening to me? Or why are bad things happening to good people? Perhaps It's not you, perhaps you have someone in mind. Maybe it's a parent or a grandparent or a best friend or someone else that you know that you're like, man, they are the best, right? They are such a good dude or she is such a sweet young lady. I cannot believe the things that are happening to her or in her life. So let's dive in with this question. So first of all, when I I hear that question, One of the very first things that comes to my mind is, what is your definition of good? Right, like good is one of those terms that means different things to different people. It's kind of a relative term, right? Like we could say that we're good compared to someone else. Who is that someone we're comparing ourselves to? And I think the majority of us tend to think that we're good people. In general, we're, we're good people. You know, we like to think of people like Hitler or bin Laden or Charles Manson or some of these other criminals and evil people that maybe we've studied in history or perhaps, you know, you know some people in life that you're just like, that is an evil, evil dude or, or girl. And so we like to look at those people and we compare ourselves to those people and we say, we are good. We are good compared to them. And you probably have a very valid point. You probably are good compared to the worst people that you can imagine. But what about on the other side of the spectrum? What if you compare yourself to the best people that you know? Are you good compared to them? Hmm. Maybe it's a different perspective. And then how about this one? Are you good compared to God. Ouch. All right, let's look at a passage. Okay, this comes in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. And this was a, uh, it's the story of a rich young man who comes up to Jesus. And this is how he starts the, the question or the, the conversation, It says, as he was starting out on a trip, a man came running to him, to Jesus, that is. And he knelt down and he asked, good teacher, what must I do to get into heaven? And this was Jesus's response. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Only God is truly good. Now, this this passage may seem a little confusing. You're like, wait a minute, wasn't Jesus God? And why, you know, why is he saying God and not himself? So he's kind of turning the question back around to him, knowing that he's wanting this guy to recognize that, yes, Jesus is God, right? So he is good. And so he's just kind of questioning this guy about what good is, so that this guy, because he thinks he's a good dude, he thinks he's done a lot of good deeds. And then if you read the rest of this passage, you see that, that Jesus kind of flips it on him. And it turns out that this guy isn't willing to sacrifice his selfish desires or his needs or his priorities in order to follow Jesus. Uh, so he's basically saying, like, your good deeds are really not good when you put it in perspective. So anyways, but, but the main point of what I want you to hear is— Jesus saying, only God is good. You're not good. I'm not good. Your sweet old grandma that's in church every Sunday, reads her Bible every day, never hurt anybody, she's not good. Not good compared to God. God is the standard. Okay? So if we are comparing good... Compared to the standard, we fall short. All right, so let's get that in perspective. So when we say, why are bad things happening to me? Because I'm such a good person. Are you really good? You're not good compared to God. You may be good compared to Hitler, right? Or some of these other evil people. But you're not good compared to the truly good which is God. Let's look at another passage. This comes in the book of Isaiah, chapter 68, verses 6 and 7. It says, We're all sin-infected, sin-contaminated. Our best efforts are grease-stained rags. We dry up like autumn leaves, sin-dried, and we're blown off by the wind. That's the message version. Let's look at another one. This is the Living Bible. It says, we are all dirty with sin. Even our good works are not pure. They are like blood-stained rags. We are all like dead leaves. Our sins have carried us away like the wind. And then I want to read one more. This is the Good News Translation. All of us have been sinful. Even our best actions are filthy through and through. So there's three versions, okay? And all three of those are saying basically the same thing. They're just worded different, right? It says, we're all sin-infected. We're all sin-contaminated. That was one version. One says we're all dirty with sin, and the other one says we've all been sinful, okay? We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. And then one, go back to our versions, and what does it say about our good deeds? What does it say about our good works? It says our best efforts are grease, stained rags. Uh, so for all you gearheads out there, if you ever worked on cars, four-wheelers, motorcycles, dirt bikes, you know, whatever it is, you realize grease usually gets on you, okay? It's on uh, maybe bolts and nuts that you're messing with or, you know, different parts of, of the motors or engines. And you get grease on you, right? So you may have a rag around that you wipe your hands on, and that grease is kind of hard to get off, and a lot of times grease stains, all right? So that's the one analogy that we have is that grease, that old black grease that's hard to get off. It just stains, stains the rags. It's saying that's what your good deeds are. That's what your best efforts are. The next one? It says our good works are not pure. They're not pure. They are like blood-stained rags. Okay, so imagine you, know, you got a bad cut or injury and blood's everywhere, you know, and you're trying to wipe the blood off. And again, you have this rag or piece of cloth, and it's just stained with blood. It's got blood all over it. That's what your good works are like. That's what your good deeds are. And the last one just says our best actions, even those best actions are filthy through and through. So, are we good? The Bible says only God is good. And then it goes on to say that even our good deeds, right? The things that you think are good, you know, oh, I was such a good citizen today. I was such a good Christian today because I helped this person or I did this or I read my Bible or whatever. God says if you're comparing that to what truly is good, that's not even good. So what are you comparing yourself to? You know, if if we take this to uh, analogy of an athlete, you know, know we have several of my students in the youth group are, are athletes. You could say you're a good athlete, you're a good basketball player, you're a good football player, you know, you're a good baseball player. Compared to who? Compared to the people that didn't make the team? Compared to the people that have really never played the sport before? What if you compared yourself to the best? You know, the best that you can imagine. The Hall of Famers, the MVPs of the, of the NFL or you know, Major League or whatever sport are you good compared to those? Are you good compared to the weak, the, the hurting, the crippled, or the inexperienced? It makes a big difference, right? So when we use that word good, what are we comparing that to? And when we're talking about being good humans, our standard is God. So it, quit comparing yourself to the evil, to the bad, I hope I hope you're better than that, right? I hope you're better than the bottom. It doesn't take much effort, honestly, to be better than the bottom. You have to try really, really, really hard to be down there. But what about being the best? What about being truly good? And in this case, we can't, we can't ever get even close to being as good as God. So where does that put us? We're sinful make mistakes. I know you've made mistakes because I've made mistakes. And the Bible says for all have sinned, right? So even, even if it's pretty small, a little bitty, little bitty lie, took something that didn't belong to you, any of that separates us from God. God is a holy, pure God. So if God is a holy, pure God, he cannot be in the presence of something that is not holy, not pure. And God has made it clear There is consequences for sin. So you know what we deserve as quote-unquote good people? We deserve hell. We deserve eternal separation. But the good news is God does love us, and he gives us grace, which is that uh, unmerited favor. So he says, you know what? I love you enough that, yes, Micah, you're not perfect. Yes, Micah, you mess up a lot. Yes, Micah, you are sin. Yes, Micah, your works are like filthy, grease, blood-stained rags. But I love you enough that I'll give you the opportunity to have everlasting life with me in heaven forever and ever and ever, that is, if you just submit your life to Jesus, if you'll believe in him and follow him. That's grace to me, an quote-unquote evil person, right? Like I'm not good compared to God. So let's get that perspective first, all right? Now let's enter into this question a little bit deeper. And again, I've got four things that I want to go over. We're only going to do two in this part, and then in part two, we're going to go over two more. So let's look at the first one. So we're gonna still answer this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Okay, we're, we're gonna still consider ourselves somewhat good. I'm gonna still give you some explanation on this. So first of all, perhaps bad things are happening to good people or to you whom you're saying is good because he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get my attention. Because guess what? Pain gets your attention. You know, if you uh, are ever just kind of consumed in social media, right? You're staring at your phone and, you know, maybe you're just all into some TikTok videos or whatever, and you accidentally touch a hot stove. Guess what that does? That will immediately snap you out of that social media coma that you're in, right? Like it brings you back to reality real quick, you know? You're walking through at night, I mean, I've done this multiple times, maybe you have too, right? You're tired, you get up in the night for whatever reason, maybe if you use the bathroom or you're trying to do something, whatever, and you stump your toe. You're half asleep until you stump your toe, or you kick something, or you run into the wall, or that wakes you up, right? That gets your attention. So pain gets your attention, You know, it's real easy to cruise through life and everything's great, everything's good. We tend to forget about God. You know, we don't need God. I'm going to use that word need. We don't need God when everything's perfect, when everything's great. But guess what we tend to do when things go bad? We tend to pray. We tend to hit our knees. We tend to cry out to him because we realize we need him. So perhaps God's just trying to get our attention. You know, the famous writer and theologian C.S. Lewis said this while he was watching his wife suffer and die of cancer. This is what he said about about that suffering, about that pain. He says, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. <laughs> wow, what a perspective. He says, God whispers, right, when things are going good, when, when everything's pleasurable. But yet, when it's painful, we're hearing the shouts. You know, God gets loud. And he even says, it's like God's megaphone to rouse, to awaken to get the attention of a deaf world. So perhaps God's getting your attention. This may not be always the case. So the four that I'm going to go through, it's not necessarily one, two, three, or four. Maybe a combination. Maybe one of them. could even be a different one. I'm just going to hit four of the big ones, okay? So that's number one. Maybe he's just trying to get your attention. You know, perhaps... Perhaps we're just not living the way God wants us to live and he just needs to get our attention. And so we have to go through some pain in order for for us to turn our attention back to him and realize that we've strayed, you know? So that that may be the case. All right, what about the second one? Perhaps bad things happen to good people to help us grow. Pain helps us grow grow. You ever heard of growing pains? Yeah, that's a legit thing. Um, my sons have gone through growing pains. I can't remember if I myself went through growing pains, but I know I've had at least two of my sons to go through growing pains where they just have pains, like in their legs usually, or uh, where they're, they're hit a growth spurt, and there's these these pains. Yeah, you know, It's just can be painful to grow. For those of you that like to exercise or try to build muscle, You know how you do that? You have to tear down the muscle. You have to work out really hard, right? It's strenuous, it's tough, it's difficult. You're putting a lot of tension, a lot of friction on your body and your muscles and you're tearing them down. Literally, you're tearing the muscles so that they can build back stronger. And for those of you that have worked out really hard, you know, what do you feel the next day? You're probably sore, right? Your muscles are sore to the touch, or you're trying to walk or do something, and, and, oh, it hurts, right? Oh, so sore. Someone comes up and grabs you, and you're like, ah, right, I'm sore. It's those growth pains. Well, the same can, can be true for spiritual growth, right? Sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it hurts. This is what the book of James says. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My friends, consider yourselves fortunate when all kinds of trials come your way. For you know that when your faith succeeds in facing such trials, the result is the ability to endure. So make sure that your endurance carries you all the way without failing so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's the good news translation. Here's the easy-to-read translation, same passage in James. My brothers and sisters, you will have many kinds of trouble, but this gives you a reason to be very happy. You know that when your faith is tested, you learn to be patient in suffering. If you let that patience work in you, the end result will be good. You will be mature and complete. You'll be all that God wants you to be. So there's two passages that talks about how that pain, how that suffering, how those bad things that are happening to you or in your life or in someone else's life that you know, perhaps it's to help you grow. And both these verses, one says, be fortunate, okay? Consider it fortunate that bad things are happening to you, right? That's, that's a different perspective, right? When all those bad things that are happening, instead of saying, why me, God? You have the perspective of saying, oh, thank you. I'm so fortunate, right? What in the world? We don't do that, but perhaps we should. That's what the Bible tells us we should think of ourselves as fortunate, the other translation says we should be very happy, not just happy, very happy that we're in a lot of trouble, that we have troubles coming our way. Why? Why are we fortunate? Why are we happy? Well, one, one passage says because your faith during these trials will succeed and the result is the ability to endure. You're building endurance. Your faith is strengthening and it's going to carry you all the way. And it's going to make you perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You're growing. You're maturing. You're becoming a better version of you. What the other passage say about it? Why should we be very happy? Because you know when your faith is tested, you learn to be patient in suffering. Whew. How about that wording? Patient in suffering if you let that patience work in you, you gotta let it work in you, right? The end result is good. It's good. You will be mature and complete. You will be all that God wants you to be. This is a whole other way to look at bad things happening in your life. Um, I'm very intrigued and inspired by a guy named David Goggins. Now, let me just make a huge disclaimer. I don't know where he stands with, he says he believes in God. Now, I don't know if he believes in Jesus. Don't know if he's a Christian. I do know that his language is very colorful. All right, I'm gonna put it nicely. So before you go out there and start, you know, listening to him or following him, just know his language is very, very, very colorful. Okay, Uh, he's a very unique individual. But what I do Respect highly in him. He's a very disciplined man. And he is all about building mental toughness. And one thing that he is very adamant about is suffering. He wants to suffer. He likes to suffer because he knows he's growing, he's maturing. It's making him a better human, right? It's making him stronger, you know. Harder, he likes to use that word, you know, getting hard, making, making him harder, be hard. In other words, you're not letting uh, the world break you down and crumble you and hurt you because you're, you're going through so much suffering that you're building up a strength. You're building up endurance to it. Uh, he's a Navy SEAL. He actually went through it three times. He went through what some will say is the hardest physical and mental test in existence, the Navy SEALs Hell Week, and he went through three of them, not necessarily on purpose, but he just had to for medical reasons and other things. But um, that's just crazy. And, and he says he actually got to the point where he enjoyed it and kind of was sad when he graduated. Most people are like, thank you, Lord. I'm never, ever looking back, right? Um, so I say all that to tell you that here's a, a guy that, again, I don't think he's a Christian. don't want to judge him. You know, that's between him and God. But from a worldly perspective, he's looking at pain and suffering, and he's had a very rough life. Uh, I've read his book, and he's had a very, very difficult life. And he always was, was kind of questioning God, right? He was always wondering why, and it was kind of sad and upset. But now he's mature enough. He's an older individual. He's, you know, in his mid-40s. And now he looks back, and he's grateful. He's even used the words, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change one single thing about his life, and he's had a... He's had a horrible, you know, childhood and life, yet he says he wouldn't change anything because all those hardships, all those quote-unquote bad things has made him who he is. He didn't let all that bad negativity, difficult things turn him into someone awful or someone bad. He had a, he had a very abusive dad that was, you know, evil. I think he calls him evil. He could have easily turned out like that, but he chose not to. He chose to use those bad situations to make him better, to make him stronger. So if we look at that and say, okay, what is God doing? God's in control. If we claim to be followers of Christ, how can we take the bad and look at it with a different viewpoint? Right? We're looking at it through different lenses, and we're saying, ooh, 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 here's an opportunity. Okay, It's a difficulty, it's tragedy, it's rough, but you know what? Maybe this is an opportunity for me to grow, because that's what the Bible's saying. You should be happy. You should see this as a, a time of fortunate, because now you're going to get to grow. You're going to get to mature. You're going to be, become who God wants you to be. So maybe God's allowing that to happen just for the sake of your growth. All right, guys, I'm going to end it right there. So that's the end of part one. We're going to pick up part two next week. We're going to talk about two more potential reasons why bad things happen to quote unquote good people. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Please come back and listen next week. Again, share the podcast. Please share the podcast. Guys, thank you again. Love you. Hope you have a blessed week. And we'll catch you in that next podcast. Bye-bye. I don't want to be just someone that's new. I speak my mind so free so you could hear the truth. Yeah, I know that we are.